You're listening to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that are true classics. And today, we've got something very special for you guys. As we announced in our last episode, this, uh, this week we're talking about a Sofia Coppola movie. And that movie is The Virgin Suicides, which is the very first Sofia Coppola movie. Uh, this movie is a slice-of-life high school movie, apparently the 39th best of all time, according to someone. Who said that? Entertainment Weekly. So, yeah, look forward to that. There is a lot of cool stuff that happens in this movie. Um, honestly, I think it's very difficult to spoil, but there is a spoiler warning, just in case you're worried about that. Um, yeah, there's we uh, we have a lot to say on this, so I'm just going to let you guys hear that, but not before you hear Magic Man by heart, which... Uh, I guess I don't know if you if if this means anything, but it is this is the intro music to Trip Fontaine, who is Josh Hartnett's character. So here's Magic Man by Heart. listening to Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about classic movies. Today's classic movie is, uh, as, as we said on the last episode, which for us is, uh, we recorded it a couple of days ago, but for you, you probably heard it last week. Um, our episode today is on Sofia Coppola's debut feature film, The Virgin Suicide. Um, Pierre, you want to you wanna say something about this movie? I believe it's a movie from 1999, and it stars Kristen Dunst, who I think this is like her first major movie, I believe. No, no, she no? didn't watch oh, this before. Um, um, but yeah, and then uh, this is Sofia Coppola's first feature film. I believe yeah. I'm correct in saying that. Yes. And she is the, the daughter of the famous Francis Ford Coppola, so... Uh, filmmaking seems to run in the family uh and well i guess it's also produced by american zoetrope which is the same production company that produced uh apocalypse now because it's owned by the cabolas so mm. a little nice little easter egg for those that listen to the apocalypse now podcast but yeah it's a it's a movie that was based on a book and it it kind of follows well essentially it takes the point of view of some uh high school boys who are fascinated by this family of girls that live across the street from them and they kind of observe how these girls go kind of go through their lives and uh and kind of uh, they overly mystify um or uh, over dramatize their lives while they kind of obsess over them so it's a cool movie that kind of takes uh a look at i guess uh High, high school kind of putting girls on a pedestal thing. 
Yeah. That's a thing. That's one way. That's yes. At least that's how I saw the movie. It, it was a very much a commentary on that. Glorifying, yeah. I guess, women. Well, I think it's definitely there's elements of that because there's several scenes that like they don't mean anything if that's not the point. But then um, I feel like this is well, it's a high school movie, as you said, and I think I think it like it deals with a lot of typical high school movie stuff, but in pretty interesting ways. Um, I think I don't know how we want to talk about this movie. We forgot to talk about that before. Do we want to? Um, so you cover you covered the basic plot. Um, do you think is, do we need to go into any details before we talk about like what's good about this movie, what's bad about it, and whether or not it's even a good movie? I don't really think Say, so it's pretty straightforward. Just yeah, it's it's based on a book, and uh, as far as I know, the the book and the movie take on a very similar plot. There's not many differences. It's just uh, I guess I more in tone. I heard. Yeah, I've heard that the biggest difference is some of the scenes in the book are shortened for the movie because you would do that with any book. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. So yeah, going into the the good stuff, I guess. Uh, I, I I just I really like the I actually really like the pacing in this. Um, I, I have seen Lost in Translation, which is Sofia Coppola's other very famous movie. Um, I think she has one more. But anyways, and this they both take a very slow. They kind of want. It's like the the audience kind of wanders through the movie, and like a lot of things happen that don't necessarily feed into the end, but. Um, I, I think in this particularly, because uh, it, it felt very much a slice of life movie, at least for the first part of it, that um, it, it really worked. And I love that. Yeah. And I remember with Lost in Translation, um, it also had the pacing of a slice of life movie. I mean, like you said, it was very slow paced, but I just felt like, at least for me, watching Lost in Translation, that just didn't work because that movie just ended up dragging so hard. And then, but with this movie, you know, technically it should have been doing the same thing, but it just felt like it was paced really well. This kind of reminded me of uh, uh, Leo, well, not that much, but it reminded me a little bit of Leo's first, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's first couple of movies, uh, like This Boy's Life, where he's in high school and things just sort of happen. And that's, just how high school movies go. Like there is a plot and there's stuff that's going on, but there's no, like the characters don't have clear goals necessarily. And the characters are just sort of there because they're high school students and events are happening because events happen during the year in high school. So like it fits this movie pretty well, or it fits a yeah. high school movie. Yeah. Also like the, I guess there's like a much bigger cast of characters in this, like uh, primarily in Lost in Translation, it was focused on Scarlett and Bill Murray. But in this, you have about, I want to say you have like almost technically like nine or 10 characters that like have a decent sized role in the movie. Yeah. And yet, and this is probably my favorite thing about the movie, despite the fact that you have nine or 10 characters, none of them really feels like a main character. Like, for example, in like, Avengers Infinity War you have what 20 main characters and all of them feel like main characters like when you're following when Black Panther is on the screen 
you're following Black Panther, like doing his thing, and there's there's stuff going on. He's an active force. In this one, like it almost never seems like we're getting the point of view of anyone in particular. Um, but Kirsten Dunst is the closest we have to a main character. Her character's name is Lux. Lux Lisbeth. And like she's we don't ever really see what she's going through, like who she is. We only ever see her kind of as an outside participant. Like in most movies, the goal is at least one of the goals is to get you in the in the head of the character that the movie's about. But in this movie, it's just like you're just observing people, which is very strange, even though technically that's just what movies are. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, and like, it's a very I, it kind of reminds me of David Fincher. He he talks about how he likes to frame his movies as uh, or his cinematography as <clears throat> when he when he films it that the the viewer is kind of an omniscient uh, force following the story rather than because a lot of the times uh, uh, the character kind of frames the camera in a way that makes you feel involved in the movie, I guess. Whereas this is it's uh, Sophia is very passive in general. Well, it actually reminds me, well, you saying that, that reminds me a bit of Uncut Gems because in no way could you describe the camera work and the cinematography in that movie as passive. That is, you are, fo- you are on Adam Sandler's shoulder the whole time. You're following him. You, when, when he is feeling nervous, you're feeling nervouser. Like, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be so in his head that like not even he is as not even Adam Sandler's character is as much Adam Sandler's character as you, the viewer are. But in this movie, like there's none of that. Like you said, it's very passive. Yeah. And that's a, it's a cool character to, t- especially cause like when you have, when, when our four, cause the, essentially the, the four characters we're technically following aren't really the main characters too. And then the four characters that we are sort of following are not the main characters. Wait, are the main characters? It was very confusing because the essentially there's like the four girls are the main focus of the story. However, we're observing them from the point, sort of from the point of view from these four guys that live across the street, right? But then we never really, I well, personally, I never really learned much about these guys from my viewing. The guys I felt no almost, relation to them. They're almost not even characters. They're there, but like, as far as I'm concerned, they were indistinguishable from each other. Honestly, uh, there were scenes. Hayden Christensen is in this movie. He is not one of those four guys. Okay, every I was going to say. On, like... <laughs> every time he was on screen, I kind of figured he was because the narration didn't seem to care that he wasn't one of those four guys. It just sort of kept narrating the way the story went. Oh, is he um, the voice? No. The oh, voice is Giovanni Rabisi, who is okay. also not in this movie, other yeah. than as a narrator. So, like, Giovanni Rabisi is the narrator, and he's implied to be one of those boys 25 years in the future. But at no point does the movie give you any hint as to which of those boys he is, or even technically if he is one of them. He just, like, the way that he talks about the four boys that are that we're following is that he always refers to them as we. So like he's probably one of them, but it's extremely unclear who. Yeah. And then uh, randomly like throughout 
the movie too he kind of goes back into or she she goes back into uh showing it's almost like it was a it was filmed as a mockumentary slightly where you would have interviews with care with some characters at random one character uh no well okay there was the one the 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 popular guy right i can't remember his name trip fontaine trip but then also we there was a couple cuts i remember earlier in the movie where you would they i think it was there was three cuts of three different guys talking about one talking about the girls or something like that and it was it was framed as an interview as well but they, these were very short like and they never really come back into the movie at any point so that was like like very odd because like you know obviously it has nothing to do like it's very different from the way they were styling the movie because you kind of go from like a sort of by biographical take or character drama take to like a a mockumentary like out of nowhere um Mm -hmm. and it doesn't even stick but i actually really like that stuff and i i can't really explain why but um it i guess it just felt like it really fit it was almost like a Maybe uh, now that I think about it, because the the news had a big prevalence in the movie. It was almost framed like it was a news report, like one of those, like this happened 20 years ago and there's this guy's story or something like that. I guess I think that like a little con to just add a little context to this, because I feel like I keep dancing around it and I shouldn't. Okay, at this point, if you decide you don't want spoilers, this could be a spoiler. So like, here's a spoiler warning. At the very beginning of the movie, literally the first thing we learn is that the four girls that we're talking about in this movie all die. When yes. isn't entirely clear, but it's clearly going to happen by the end of the movie. Yeah. So sort of the hook for this movie is these four boys are fascinated by these four girls for whichever reasons, mostly because they're like completely inaccessible. Their family is very um, extremely overprotective. Um, but like sort of not in an aggressive way. Uh, their mom is, their mom clearly like runs the house and won't let them do anything, but it's not like she's going out to the neighbors and being mean or anything, I guess. I don't know. I'm not really sure how to describe what I mean by not in an aggressive way. Either way, they're fascinated by these girls and it's talking about like, and the, the hook that keeps us going is that one of the girls early on, um, attempts to commit suicide and i think that's what gets these boys initially interested is they like want to know why why she would do that and so they follow her and the and this whole family and they're just trying to like figure out what's going on in these girls minds and that's sort of i keep saying the hook but that's what keeps us like invested in the story and but because this movie has no interest in ever showing us the point of view of those girls, we never find out. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, it it feels kind of obvious for some of the, like like uh, I I guess it for the I think because for me the movie it felt like it was trying to take the point of view of that uh, they like the, the guys kind of just look at the girls and they don't under they they don't understand how how those girls could not be completely happy because in their minds they have everything right and that they are attractive young women and then uh and then i think it's 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 meant that the audience 
understands like that the girls are going through that and and or because because we kind of even though it's a narration thing we do i think we do get more information than the no i guess it's the same but i guess it's just framed that the audience is supposed to understand why the girls would kill themselves in my opinion whereas the the boys even though they have the same info as us refuse to acknowledge the fact that they were uh, leading terrible lives if that makes sense so i have a I don't, I don't love stories where people commit suicide and it's very obvious in context of the story why it happened. Like, I have very mixed feelings on 13 Reasons Why, for example. But, like, in this movie, too, it, well, in, in this movie, I didn't... I felt like for every one of... Not for every one of the girls, but for most of the girls, I could understand to some degree some potential reasons they could have... Com that, that they committed suicide because that's what happens. The all of the virgins suicide. Um, anyway, I could understand some. I could think of some reasons why they would do that, but I didn't ever think that it was ever. I didn't really think that it was ever clear in in really like there's because I don't. I mean, I really don't think we had enough information to be like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. I think we had enough information to speculate but not much more than that. And that's basically the information that the boys had as well. That's true. Well, yeah. So we're given the same amount of information as the boys. Uh, for me, like, I guess, I guess I, I might've just filled in the holes really quickly, but for me, it was just like, you know, like, cause their mom basically trapped them in their, their house and wouldn't let them leave and, and uh, like took them out of school and everything. And, uh, like some of these girls were like 15, right? Or one of them was 15. The youngest was 14 out of the four of them. Four, and... The youngest was 14. Then there was one that was 15. Then there was one that was yeah. 16. Then there was one that was 17. Seven, they were all a yeah. year apart. So like in terms of like as a four, like from a 14 year old, like if, if they were envisioning themselves being trapped in their house and essentially being abused um, like mentally, then like, I, I I personally I understood it pretty quickly, but then I because I remember reading online and I was surprised that like quite a few people were like why like they didn't understand why they the they killed themselves. So they had yeah. a pretty awful life, despite the fact that there was nothing outwardly awful about it. Like their parents loved them, their mom was very controlling, so like that sucks. But like not evil, I guess. I but, uh, <laughs> I think she was kind of evil in a way. Yeah, honestly. okay. But like, I mean, I wouldn't. I I don't think their mom was evil enough that oh, their mom clearly drew drove them to suicide just by being their mom. But like, I mean, there's a just all of the circumstance. They were compl she completely cut them off from civilization, despite the fact that they were teenage girls that were fine everywhere like they weren't doing anything bad and they you know fit into the world properly they i guess it's hard to explain what i'm trying to say but like they didn't from the outside um it didn't seem like there was anything like these girls had any major problem but of course in in the movie they clearly did they had a hor they all had horrible lives but like not 
traditionally horrible. Like they weren't Oliver Twist or something, I guess. Yeah, that's true. It was a relatively that's that's why I liked it. It was a relatively new aspect of looking at abusive parenting, at least for the time. I'm pretty sure. I mean, like, I, this movie was also I want to say it was set in like the 80s or the 70s. 70s. Okay, yeah. So like, like in terms of something like being locked in your house and like never being allowed to leave, that's something that couldn't really happen today to a, like on the same scale if like you know the kids had access to the internet in any way because they could just you know usually contact child services or something but if this was 50 years ago then like i don't know if that that was the same kind of expectation so especially because everyone in the neighborhood knew that those like the girls hadn't like weren't allowed to leave anymore it wasn't like a secret so uh yeah like it, i might not i might be discounting the time as well and stuff like that um because yeah but um, you're, you're totally right in that. Like, it's, I guess it's, it's definitely more ambiguous in, like, the way... I think you could have a very different opinion on, like, whether the mother was, like, what drove them to suicide or not, if that makes sense, directly or indirectly, and, like, if what she did was right. Because, like, I can understand... Like, I, I, do like, I do like how the movie makes me understand why the mom is acting that like she you know she she is already kind of messed up because at the start of the movie the first daughter commits suicide right and then that kind of sets the tone for the rest of it and the mother is i guess already on on uh already overly cautious and then it just gets worse from that so like there was an escalation to it but like honestly like i can comprehend where she is coming from yeah yeah I'd say the worst guy is just like the dad, honestly, because he he didn't really commit his opinion to anything really ever. I think with the dad, I mean, he was I, I think he was a better dad than the mom was a mom. But their parenting styles were so completely opposite of each other that like he didn't mean anything as a parent. Like he almost had no presence. Where if he had been, if, if the mom had been a little more like the dad, then they would have a, just, they would grow up as normal girls. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like, yeah, it kind of reminds me, have you seen Stranger Things? I've seen first, the first two first seasons. Season. Yeah. yeah, well, there's like a meme where the dad and that just kind of sits around and watches TV and he doesn't care about what his kids are doing and stuff. Um, and it was kind of like this, where like the dad... He kind of just swayed into whoever's opinion kind of hit him first or latest almost um, because, he, you know, he he was he was sort of overly protective because of the mom. And then he gets a little looser when when the when trip when trip wants to ask his daughter out and he kind of convinces the dad to stick up for him a bit and let the daughters go out and stuff. So, yeah, he wasn't uh, he was just he was just frustratingly like passive and in the end like i almost want to blame him the most because he just doesn't seem to care at all honestly so yeah, yeah. fair i felt like the dad just kind of yeah maybe it was that he didn't care at all he just kind of like had his own ideas of who he wanted to be and not that he felt that he was more important than anyone else but like he just sort of lived his life which mm. 
ended up making him a very passive character and sort of not intervening in any of the places that he definitely should have been. Yeah, so that was annoying to see. Good, he was a good actor though. Honestly, oh I, yeah, I mean, there's actually honestly the acting across the board was really really good. I didn't. There wasn't one character that I was like kind of off. Like the mom, I I loved to like dislike her, and all the girls like all like because a lot of these, well at least they felt like child actors. I don't know how old Kristen Dunst was when this was Kirk made. Was still a minor. I think she was seventeen. Okay. Well, like she put on a really good job for a seventeen-year-old. Yeah. So. Uh, and same for all the other Turner, actors and actresses. Yeah. Kathleen Turner as the mom was great. James Wood is the guy. James Woods is the guy who played the dad, who later would go on to play Hades, if I'm not mistaken, in the. Oh, Hercules cool. Movie. Maybe that was. Was he a comedian? Because I was. Um, I don't believe he is. Did he play Hades? Let me check. Oh boy, he's been in a bunch of things. Uh, yes, he did play Hades in Hercules. And he had so much fun with Hades that he said, Disney, if ever you need me to play Hades in anything, no matter what it is, I will be there. And he's done that. He's, they've never had to hire another Hades. Wow, that's uh, um, some commitment. This was also the, I believe, third movie that Josh Hartnett was ever in. Okay, no, it was technically the potentially fifth. Third, third, major, third major role for Josh Hartnett, which, uh, do you know who that is? Isn't he in Transformers? Oh no, that's someone else. Josh Duhamel, this guy. I don't know what he was in. So he's a guy that I've definitely seen in a lot of things. I personally know him from the uh, from the show Penny Dreadful back in 2014, where he plays a werewolf, uh, but also a cowboy. But like. In this, he played Trip Fontaine, and like Trip Fontaine is a very memorable character in this movie. I think. I mean, he is, yeah. He was a. Yeah. He had a very strong screen presence. They were really like, uh, I, f I find the most memorable memorable characters a lot of the time aren't actually in the movie that much. They kind of like Trip kind of just came in. I think he was in it for about thirty minutes. He comes in, he kind of steals the show, and then he leaves uh, pretty suddenly, and it has a massive repercussions on the rest of the movie so. I'm so far as to say that like trip fontaine coming in not uh trying to like uh get with kirsten dunst and then taking kirsten dunst uh kirsten dunst character to homecoming is basically the plot of this movie like that's the main part of this movie even though it's not it's only probably, well, it's probably like a third of the movie. I think it's about a half an hour, maybe a little more. But like that, I think, is the closest this movie has to a specific goal-driven character plot. Yeah, like well, now that I think about it, you could almost like cut out a lot of the movie and just kind of start it halfway through when Chip comes in and then like have a pretty decent, like, I guess, short film at that point. But if you wanted to expand on the trip stuff, you could make this entire movie just trip and like just a love story between Trip and Lux. I think it would suffer for it, but you could yeah. do that. Yeah, it would have been very cliche and like mm -hmm. obviously been done before. But this was yeah, it was cool in that it was and it made it more believable too, because it, it seemed like uh I don't know, because they, they frame it as or at least Chip's talk even like it was kind of crazy. He's talking about it twenty-five years later and he says it's the only time he's ever been in love with someone and they had only spent really that one night together. 
they never really explain why Trip left, and it's it's left really ambiguous, and he never kind of comes back in the movie and until later, I guess. But I think that was really good in that uh, there was no real way for the viewer to be satisfied with an explanation for essentially him leaving the love of his life as he described him or, uh, as he described her because like uh i like I, I don't even think he understands why he did that necessarily so mm-hmm. yeah because this was because like if that was really the only the love of his life that he really messed it up because he just like leaves in the middle of the night and leaves her to get home by herself but um on the other hand like they sort of there's sort of implications after that of like what happened to the kid who peaked in high school and like he peaked hard in high school he was awesome in high school but then the only time he's one of the only characters we see in the future and in the future he's i mean he seems fine i guess but he's also in rehab for something if it's whether it's alcohol or drugs or something else and like he's clearly gone through some he's gone through some shit after going getting out of high school and like i wonder to some degree if i'm i i have to say i have like i did listen to some other opinions on this movie as well so like i'm clearly not the first person in the world to say this so it's not necessarily my original thought but like i do sort of wonder you know does trip blame himself for the events of the movie after he's gone yeah maybe I, that's what yeah i think that's kind of on a, a uh, left up to the audience i can kind of see it as being multiple things like hmm. i don't entirely think trip was really on his way to greatness anyways later but like no i, I guess this is yeah. one of those things um this is like a commentary that this movie does that not a lot of movies do just because a lot of high school movies don't have the ability to do this but like this is where the movie can actually comment on, you know, what happens to the kid whose best years of his life were in high school. Because, like, he's a fine character. There's nothing with him in, while he's in the movie. But then, like, you see him later on, and, you know, as you said, he wasn't actually on his way to greatness. Yeah, but he, he ends up a little worse than not greatness, too, by the end of it. So, And, yeah, I, I think it it is kind of meant to be seen as... He probably feels guilty. I mean, I I know like, I'm 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 sure most normal people would feel guilty if if kind of you know because essentially it was his actions. Because I also he knew right like he's the one that ended up convincing the parents to, to be able to take the girls out, and then also he screwed them over uh, in that you know he's he's the one that convinced. Was her name? I want to say her name was Jane. Was it Jane? I don't know why that name came to my head. Kristen Dunst though. Lux. Lux. He convinced Lux to 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 go on a walk, and then and then eventually, and essentially left her left her there, and that was like all on him, basically. So I don't. Uh, I guess I I think it's like a deserving ending for him because essentially all the stuff, well, indirectly, all the stuff that ha- bad stuff that happens in the movie towards the end is directly be- because of him. I think I just did a paradox there, but well, I think like. My favorite thing about this movie is um, it does leave a lot into interpretation, but not in the same way that like a David Lynch movie does. Like we watch Mulholland Drive, any scene in that movie could mean anything. 
because that's how open to interpretation it is. But here, like, we're shown a lot of events, and there are... We're shown a lot of events. We're just not given necessarily specific reasons behind why this happened. So, like, but at the same time, nothing is never nothing is ever really out of place. Like, everything makes sense. There's just enough possibility of different reasons that things could have happened that the audience is is welcome to like insert their own thoughts. So, like with Trip Fontaine, for example, um, he's in rehab later. Is that because he had some hard times later on in his life? Maybe. Is that because of this and he never got over it? Also, maybe. Doesn't really matter. But like, that's there if you want to think about it. Um, after Trip leaves Lux, that starts Lux's kind of downward spiral. But like, we never know enough to know why, in the end, specifically, she kills herself. But there's plenty of reasons that it could be. There's yeah. loads we have to work with it's just that like we're never given concrete answers yeah i i think i i kind of like the way it is in that she or coppola seems to when well i guess this might have been the story too like because she didn't write the story essentially but uh i i feel like because for stuff like trip being in rehab right like i noticed that and like it was technically up to my interpretation but like when i saw it based on like my pre like my previous like kind of assumptions and opinions of like life in general i assumed it was because of indirectly kind of because of what he did to the girls and same thing with the end is like i i thought about it a bit but i wasn't like this wasn't like a huge ending where i was like oh my god like there's so many different things that could have happened it was for me it was kind of like instantly i thought oh it happened because uh you know they were like of every i guess everything that added up throughout the movie but i like it was up to interpretation but then also i didn't have to it's like hmm i would say people can view it differently but it's not like you have to put a lot of thought into it i guess that's how i wanted to say it that's basically what i think i was trying to say as well okay cool yeah so that's good so, so yeah, overall, like a really great, I want to say great movie, honestly. And yeah, I, I gotta say this movie did what no other movie ever could do for me, which is make me kind of want to go back and watch Lost in Translation. <laughs> yeah, because now I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I missed something. I don't know. But I don't think I will. Because <laughs> that was a, I, I just, it's, it's actually quite surprising, like the, the change in, uh, I guess how much I liked each of these movies, even though for me they feel very similar. It's so that's that's kind of interesting. And like I I'd, I'd say in some aspects, like Lost in Translation is much more interesting than this movie. But uh, yeah, I would like I would probably give Lost in Translation like when I saw it like maybe a three, and then but this I would give probably like I think I think an eight. I think an eight would be a good number. Like it wasn't mind blowing or anything, but it was. It was very. It was a very interesting take on a pretty relatively basic story. So, uh, yeah. I've seen I've seen lots of slice of life movies. Uh, not usually my favorite kind of movie. Lots of high school movies, and like this movie is different from both of those. Typically, like it it doesn't adhere to the stereotypes of either one, even though it's clearly a slice of life high high school movie. And I just thought that it was like. 
I would never go into either of those genres expecting anything great. And I thought that this was just like really neat. It was very different. Um, it was really good, uh, just well executed on every level. And it like, it, it made me think like, as like, you, you know, you said it's not a lot of work to interpret things, but like, I just liked all of the ways that um, detail, like all of the details that were either there or specifically weren't there. I thought that she just did a really, I thought Sofia Coppola did a really great job as a director and like where Lost in Translation made me want to never watch her movies again. This movie want, made me want to like watch everything she's ever done just because it was such an interesting movie. Yeah, it really worked out. And um, I hope this wasn't her peak because yeah, I do want to watch the rest of her movies. But yeah. Well, I guess on that note, uh, we're not bringing out the wheel today because uh, we've got something very special uh, starting with... Um, the episode that is two episodes after this, we're going to transition over to Spotify. I think we'll still be on SoundCloud if you're listening to SoundCloud, but um, we should also be on Spotify at that point. So uh, before then, we have like a list of the movies we need to go through it's just so that we can sort of coordinate everything. We're not bringing out the wheel today. We'll get back to that. But uh, the last, I don't remember if it was the last movie. I think it was two movies ago. We did Valhalla Rising, which was a Nicholas Winding Refn movie. And it was okay. But um, I just found out during uh, during that episode, actually, that Pierre had never seen Drive, which is like the Nicholas Winding Refn movie. So we are going to give Nicholas Winding Refn one more shot with Drive for the next episode. And then after that, we're going to start talking about new movies again, because those exist now. Well, yeah, the... I guess what Bill and Ted. There's another one coming out in October, right? Like Venom or something. Or is that delayed too? I'm trying oh, to think. Delayed. I don't know. There's Morbius for sure. Oh god. Eventually. Yeah, I'm not excited for that one. Venom. Let there be carnage. It is coming out June of next year. Don't oh, worry, okay, we don't have to mind. talk about that right away. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you. But anyway, yeah. the next one's gonna be Drive, and then we'll we'll see from there. We'll see you guys on Spotify after that. I'm excited. Exciting. Peace.